0: Haven't already turn your Bibles to John chapter four. John four. We're gonna look at John four and John five. We've got a great passage, a long passage today as we explore the hungers of the human heart. If you're new to Seacoast, welcome. My name is Pastor Dale. Uh, Pastor Ryan and I have been walking you through John chapters four through eleven because it's a great section that explores not only a lot of the human desires of what people yearn for, but how Jesus Christ, when you really understand who He is, helps address each of those hungers. So pray with me. Welcome and take out your outline. Open your Bibles. Let's go. Father God, thanks. Thanks for the chance to worship you this morning. Thanks for the chance to honor our moms. Thanks for the chance now to listen to you as our God. And I pray that you teach us from your word so we understand better exactly who Jesus was and how he addresses our hungers. We love you. We appreciate the wisdom that you give us through Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. One of the most common prayers that we pray, at least in most people's lives, when you look at your prayer list, if you were to have a prayer list, is for healing, is for health. I mean, you can't help but pray for that, can you? I know in my life it's been one of the most common things that kicks somebody onto my list. And, and I'm often there myself. And, 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 and the reality, again, is every single follower of Jesus Christ will at times encounter in their own life and also in the lives of people they care about uh, health issues. I think as a culture we are health conscious, uh, especially here in Encinitas, Carlsbad, here on the coast There's even a higher degree, I think, of consciousness and and awareness of what will make me healthy. So the question of the morning is this. When you pray to God and you say, God, would you heal my problem? Or God, would you heal my friend? What do you expect God to do? I've seen a lot of times in life where people who no longer love God, perhaps they say, you know, I used to be a follower of Jesus, but I'm not anymore now, and I don't believe in him anymore. It's very common for me to ask, so tell me a little bit about your journey. When did you lose your faith? And probably the most common scenario that I bump into when I ask that question is a time in their life when they really ask God to help them to heal someone they loved and for some reason they really felt god was going to do it and it didn't happen and they said from that day forward i lost my faith in god so it's it matters when we ask the question when you pray god give me health god heal me what you expect really matters We're going to look at a story today in which, if you'll notice the outline title even, it's titled, uh, As Another Character of Jesus, As I Am the Great Physician. We're going to encounter a Jesus who has no problem healing, even from a distance. He has no problem healing, even in the absence of faith, let alone in response to faith. We're going to look at Jesus, the supposed great physician, but we're going to look at him from the angle of, okay, what does this teach us about how we relate to Jesus today? And what should we expect? I've heard people very naively say, well, you know, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And they'll quote the Bible on that. And they'll say, so if Jesus was, when he was on earth, he, you know, people prayed, people asked, he healed. I mean, if he did it then, he can do it now. Why doesn't it happen? And it really can rattle your faith in God if you haven't thought this through. Some people, to go to the extreme, they just quit asking. Say, you know, Dale, I've tried that. I mean, I've prayed for people that are sick, and they don't get well. So I just kind of gave up on that one. I figure I just have to figure that one out later. So they either go to one extreme, and they even quit asking for God to do the miracle, or they ask in such a way that they kind of set up little tests for God, little fleeces to God, little tests, and, 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 if, and, 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 and they want to see God deliver in such a way that they know it was God. So whether you are one who's given up praying for the miracle or whether you're one that prays for the miracle but you're not even real sure if God is there or not, wherever you're coming from this topic, let's encounter Jesus and see what he teaches us about two not one but two of his own miracle working stories okay let's go here we go let's pick it up pick it up in john chapter four john chapter four verse 46 therefore follow with me in your bibles okay if hopefully you get in the habit of kind of bringing a bible i'll pop some key verses up but i really love for you to track in uh, in your own bible if you can it'll help you if not just listen i'll tell you the story first story i call it this the miracle without a touch here we go therefore when jesus came again to cana of galilee last week he was in where answer good last week he was where answer samaria yeah talk to me okay keeps me awake on mother's day ready here we go okay he was in samaria and, and and we saw jesus do a different sort of miracle there the miracle was he could know the life of a person he's never met and know all the details And he shocked a lady called the Samaritan woman at the well and and told her about her five past husbands and the guy she was shacked up with now that's not her husband and blah, blah, blah. You know, and the reality is Jesus knew all that detail and she knew she'd never seen him. He's not even from her area, her city. So Jesus got her attention with a miracle and then he talked to her about her deeper need and that was her need for a relationship with Christ, a relationship with God, not just a relationship with another guy. So today, Jesus moves on, and we're going to see the next miracle. So now he moves out of Samaria, goes north to Galilee, and this is what happens. He came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made water turn into wine. That was his first public miracle. And there was a royal official, a royal official, a government official, whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is the seaside village, kind of the head of Galilee. It's kind of the central most important town in Galilee. So, this royal official naturally lived there. It's like living in the capital of the province, down a little seacoast condo, view of the ocean, not ocean in this case, but Sea of Galilee, but it's a beautiful spot. And so he's living in, he's living down there. He's probably a wealthy person, probably a person of influence, but he's got a problem, and here it is. This official comes goes up in the hill country to where Jesus is, and he says he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, so he went to him, verse 47, and, and was begging him, imploring, it means to be begging him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus says to the man, unless you people see signs and miracles, wonders, you simply will not believe. So Jesus expresses his frustration with the fact that so often people are saying, you know, do another miracle, then I'll believe. Do another miracle, then I'll believe. So he says, the problem is you all want to see one more miracle, and then you'll believe, and he's kind of frustrated. And the royal official says to Jesus, Sir, look, uh, just come down with me. Come down before my child dies. And you can hear the desperation. I mean, imagine you're the parent of, of a son or daughter. They are at the point of death. And you go all the way up to get Jesus and you you say, you know, Jesus, I I don't I don't care about that. Just please come and heal my son. So Jesus surprises him. He doesn't go with him, but he says, verse 48 or verse 49, go, your son lives. And it says the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. So he's booking it back down out of the hill country, back toward his home to check on his son. And even as he's going down, some slaves, some of his slaves, are running up to meet him, and they meet him, verse 40, verse 51, saying, Sir, he says, Your son has, your son was, he's living. He, he didn't die. So he inquired of them the hour when they, when he began to get better. And they said, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Seventh hour would be about one o'clock in the afternoon and the father knew that it was that very hour in which jesus said to him your son lives so this is no coincidence and he himself believed and his whole household meaning his family and those who lived with him probably his slaves etc this is again the second miracle that jesus performed out of Ga- out of judea into galilee Now, let me just kind of pause for a second to simply draw out a couple key points, and that is Jesus in this miracle expresses his frustration with one thing, and that is that people seem to need another miracle before they would believe that was his expression that he uh, that he laid out. Uh, And then uh, I think it begins to show us that even though Jesus granted his wish did the miracle, that the purpose that Jesus is trying to communicate in the story is this, that the goal of Jesus's miracles was always to foster a faith that needed no miracles, a faith in the man Jesus and who he was, not just in what he had done. So just kind of tuck that away that Jesus says, "Ah, I wish you would believe without a miracle. But okay, here it is. And he does it and he grants the miracle. Now just tuck that away in the back of your head because it's going to become important as we try to wrap up the purpose of these two stories. Because you've got to remember, when John wrote his gospel, he wasn't just randomly telling stories. Uh, it, It tells us at the end of the gospel of John, these things I have written and recorded so that you might believe in Christ. To bring you to faith in Christ. And it even says in the end of John, many, many, many other things, many other miracles Jesus did which are not recorded in this book. But but the, the point is this, when you read the Gospels, understand you are not just reading history, you're reading theological history. You're reading history that's written for a deeper purpose. And that purpose is to nurture faith. And that's why I believe it's important to teach both of these stories together, because the, the, the scriptures almost always follow the miracles in John with the big idea or the lesson that he wants us to learn from it. So at this point, he rolls right into another story. So let me go to it. And then you're going to see how the two fit together. Miracle number two, the healing without a stirring. If I call the first one the healing without a touch, Jesus Often would come to a person, in some ways he would touch him or lay hands on him or, or rub mud on his eyes. He did all kinds of physical things that would, pre, that, would, uh, that, would, that would go along with his healing activity. But in this case, he just says, go, your son lives. And even from a distance, without a touch, without a prayer, without anything, he heals the man's son. Now we have another interesting healing. Chapter 5, verse 1, here we go says after these things there was a feast of the jews and jesus went up to jerusalem so now he goes from uh, samaria up to galilee does a miracle up there and now he's gone back for another feast in jerusalem so now he's back down south in jude in judea and now there was in jerusalem by the sheep gate one of the entrances to the city a pool which is called in hebrew bethesda having five porticos. now uh, archaeologists believe they've actually uncovered and found this pool. You can actually see it if you go to Jerusalem. You can see where they're excavating this thing. So picture this uh, artificial, man-made pool that 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 was full of water, surrounded by large stones that formed large porticos. They called them or porches around it. So you got to picture this now. And it says this: It says having five porticos. This is a big deal. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever then was first, after the stirring of the water, to step into the water was made well from whatever disease that they were afflicted. And there was a man there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, the man was crippled. He could not walk. Uh, he would be brought there with friends with a pallet that he laid on. And he saw he, Jesus saw him laying there. Uh, he knew that he had already been there a long time in that condition. Jesus knows everything. He knows the man's story. So Jesus, feeling compassion, perhaps, says to him, do you wish to get well that's kind of a dumb question right not that jesus would ask dumb questions let me say let me rephrase that sorry lord Um, that that's kind of asking the obvious but it's for your sake and mine so he says to the man he gets his attention he says do you want to get well and the sick man answered sir i sure but i have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred. And while I'm going, perhaps trying to drag myself down, you've got to picture of this crippled guy trying to, to get himself into the pool. He says, while I'm trying to get myself down into the pool and the water is stirred up, but while I'm, while I'm coming, another always steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Get up, pick up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became became well, stands up, picks up his pallet, and begins to walk. Now, verse 9, it was the Sabbath on that day. Why is that important? So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, hey, it's the Sabbath, and it's not permissible for you to be carrying your pallet. You know, know, say, hey, man, what are you doing walking around moving furniture on the Sabbath? Because the Jewish uh, uh, thinking at the time had taken this basic concept in Scripture, which is taught that to, to take the seventh day, the Sabbath day, and make it holy unto the Lord, use it as a day of rest and worship, and they had taken that, and they had blown that thing out of control by inventing all kinds of artificial rules and regulations to, to, okay, what can you do on the Sabbath? What can you not do on the Sabbath? So they had a whole list of things you couldn't do. One thing you didn't do was move furniture. So they see this guy, and he's carrying his pallet. So they stop him. They say, what are you doing? It's the Sabbath, man. Don't carry your pallet around. It's not permissible. Verse 11. So he answered them. you got to see the humor in this. I like this. He who made me well was the one who said, pick up your pallet and walk. What do you expect me to do, man? I've been crippled for 38 years. Man comes and heals me and says, pick up your pallet and go home. Yeah, I mean, you really expect me not to do what he says i mean that's kind of built into the thing okay so don't ask me about this thing you know so uh you know, he's kind of frustrated with him so they so they ask him well who was this man who said to you pick up your pallet and walk he goes, let's go get after him i mean after all he's the bad guy in this story so now they're upset with jesus not knowing who it did it they're upset with whoever it was that dared to heal that man and tell him to carry his pallet okay so this is funny Anyway, you know, you're not with me but anyway here we go see the humor But the man who was healed did not know. He says, so who told you? The man who was healed did not even know who it was. For Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Now, let me just pause here for a second. Because you got to see that Jesus is doing this for a reason. Uh, If I were to capture it uh, in essence... You know what he's saying is this: that Jesus is once again showing that he's God. That's the purpose behind all of his miracles: is to prove he was who he claimed to be. Because you meet somebody on the street and they say, you know, something, uh, "I'm God, and you should put your trust in me." And you know, the re, you know, it's it's not easy to buy into that kind of line of reasoning. So, I and mean, you know, Jesus knows that when he's making these incredible claims to be God, to be the Messiah, to be the very Son of God come to earth, that these kind of claims are not easy to believe. So he's giving miracles to back up his, his claims to be who he says he is. So understand that, that Jesus is doing it to prove he's God and that in, as God, he can heal anyone anytime, even with or without faith. This man had no faith in Jesus. He didn't even know who Jesus was. As far as he knows some stranger comes along and says get up pick your pallet and walk all he knew was all of a sudden his legs that were limp came alive and he said all right whatever you say sir and he gets up and he heads out. So when the religious leaders confront him uh, it's almost humorous you know they say what are you doing doing that on the Sabbath well the guy who just gave me my legs back he said do it so you know go argue with him well who is he I don't even know who he is. So I want you to see that in the context here, Jesus is healing without a stirring of the water, without any weird environmental manipulation. There's not even a prayer. There's no expression of faith. There's no, oh, Lord, I believe in you. If I believe enough, will you heal me? It's just Jesus walks up and heals the guy. Now look at the reaction of the religious leaders. And then we're going to draw some conclusions to this this morning. The reaction of the religious leaders is in verses 10 through 18. I don't have time to go into all the details, but they're ticked off. I've already pointed that out. And, um, and, and Jesus, uh, Jesus uses this as an opportunity to do the ministry that he really cares about. And that's two things. Number one, he actually looks the guy up in the temple. Jesus finds the man that he had healed in the temple. Now, it's great the guy's in the temple because it probably shows he went there to offer offerings to God, perhaps thank offerings because he just got his legs back after 38 years. So he uses his legs to go to the temple to worship his God. Jesus finds him in the temple, and he has an interesting little dialogue. Pick it up in verse 14. It says, after Jesus found the man in the temple, he said to him, behold, you become well. But do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. And the man went away and told the Jews, OK, now I know who he is. Jesus was the guy that made me well. I just want to pause in that for a second to make sure you don't draw the wrong conclusion from Jesus's comment. Jesus was not saying that your sins caused you to be crippled. And if you sin again, you're going to be crippled again. What Jesus is saying is, look, you are here and you are so jazzed about the fact you got your legs back. And as and as wonderful as that is, and I'm happy for you, that's not what makes life work. He says, so while you got your legs back, the more important thing is work on your spiritual life. Realize that, in fact, here's my takeaway. The real life is not found in walking, but in walking with God. Real life is not found in the ability to walk or to be in a wheelchair or to be on a pallet. It's found in walking with God in obedience. Because most of the pain we have in our life, let's be honest, results from our own lack of walking with God. There's a lot of the pain in human lives, all of our lives, that um, is linked back to our own disobedience. So be Careful, focus on walking with God, not just focus on having your legs back. That's Jesus's big idea. So then he begins to get in the argument with the religious leaders. Verse 18. Here we go. We're almost done. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus. Let me back up. I started one verse late. Verse 17. So the religious leaders now know that it's Jesus. So they come and they find Jesus and and they and they began to persecute Jesus verse 16 because he was doing these things on the sabbath but he answered them he said look my father is working until now and i myself am working in other words i'm just doing the same things that my heavenly father does if my heavenly father is healing i'm going to be healing and because he and i are the same and their reaction in verse 18 is very strong i'll put it on the screen for you he says for this cause therefore the jews were seeking all the more to kill jesus because he was not only breaking the rules of what to do or not to do on the sabbath but more importantly he was he was calling god his own father making himself equal with god and the and the religious leaders got that So when people say to you that you know something, if you understand the culture, Jesus never really claimed to be God, as Ryan taught you two weeks ago, that's crazy. The reality is when you understand the culture and the very people that were the opponents of Jesus Christ, not his followers, recognized he was claiming deity, that he was claiming to be equal and one with his father. And this comes up repeatedly in the weeks to come in our series. But they're ticked off at him. So they actually begin to uh, scheme to kill him. Now, every time you read in Scripture, let me teach you a little Bible study wisdom here. Whenever you see an event happen in Scripture, such as a healing like this or a, a miracle or any other story, pay close attention to the dialogue that flows out of it. Because when John picks these miracles, he picks them for a purpose. And when Jesus does a miracle, he does them for a purpose, and then he uses it as a teachable moment. So Jesus now seizes the moment to go into a fairly long sermon from verse 19 to verse 47. Now, obviously, we only have about five, seven more minutes on the sermon. So I can't take you into detail on all that. But when you read it, here is what Jesus begins to teach them. And he begins with his classic, truly, truly, I say to you, the son cannot do, uh, can do nothing of himself and let it, unless it is something he sees the father doing for whatever the father does, these things, the son also does in like manner. And by the way, for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him even greater works than these so that you will marvel What's Jesus saying? God is doing what he's doing to teach you several things. Number one, I am just like a good son, and I am simply imitating my spiritual father, my dad. I'm imitating the God that you worship. And by the way, he loves me. Implication, unlike you. (laughs) Okay, so you're thinking about killing me? You don't like me because I did this on the Sabbath? Guess what? The very God that you say you follow, he loves me. And I'm doing exactly what my heavenly father wants me to be doing. So Jesus kind of begins to get in their face. But the second thing he points out is in verse 20. He says this, And greater works than these will I do so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. So Jesus says, look, these are small things. Point two, these healings are small stuff, but they're designed to foster your faith in me for the real healings in life that you need. I really believe that what Jesus consistently says when he heals people He says, look, you all are so excited that I can heal a physical disease or ailment. He says, but what's harder to do to heal someone who's sick or to forgive their sins and give them eternal life? And Jesus several times in his life had that dialogue with the religious leaders. And in essence, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, look, the miracles are great. That's good. It helps you believe in me. But the most important thing in life is not the physical healing that I offer, it's the eternal life that I offer. So he begins to talk about the greater things that he will do that we might marvel. And here's the list. I will raise the dead like the Father does. I will judge mankind, verse 22. I will be honored and worshiped just like you worship my Father, verse 23. Verse 24, and I will give eternal life to those of you that believe in me. And that, I believe, is the essence of the story. That Jesus does physical healing to foster our faith so that we might believe in the better, really most important healing that he does when he gives us eternal life. Look at verse 24. I'm going to put it on the screen so it's so important you can see it together. In fact, would you join me and read it together and let it soak in? Here we go. Ready? Let's read it together. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Now, if you haven't memorized that verse yet, you are going to be a spiritual cripple until you do. Since we're talking about a lame man. Or another way to say it, you'll have a lame faith. I just thought of that. Yeah. Until you memorize this verse. At least you know the truth of this verse so well that you never forget it. This verse changed my life. Because this verse teaches me this that when I place my faith in Jesus Christ, He so forgives my sin, comes to live in me, and He gives me eternal life. Therefore, my eternal life is not a future thing that I experience. When this old body finally gives out, my eternal life began the moment I placed my faith in Christ. Wow. That got me excited. You're bored. I can tell. Are you excited by that? All right. Say amen. Amen. There we go. Okay, good. Just kind of playing with you here. But see the significance of that. Because so often we think, okay, I, I trust in Jesus and, and then I've got to start performing and trying to be a good Christian and, and maybe I'll make it in, maybe I won't. It's kind of like Jesus gives us a spiritual boost and then we've got to try to climb our way into heaven. Nothing could be further from the truth. When you put your faith in Christ, it says he has passed out of death into life. Before Christ, I was spiritually dead even though I was walking around. If I understand who Jesus is and what he did on the cross to die for my sins and I place my faith in him, my trust in him, I move out of a state of being spiritually dead to a state of being spiritually alive eternally. So all that happens when my body gives out is my spiritually alive soul just changes where it hangs out. It doesn't come alive when i die it's already alive wow see that doesn't happen unless you understand grace because if my performance and my works determine whether i get into heaven jesus could never say this but jesus knew that he did what he needed to do on the cross he would do that for us on the cross so that when we trust in christ man you come out of spiritual death into spiritual life Oh man, and then the rest of this verse he says, and by the way, the other thing is this, I will, preside, I will personally preside over the judgment of all mankind. That's verses 25 to 30. So we really don't have time to, uh, to unpack the rest of this passage, but I wanted to place our focus on this part of it. You know, he goes on later in the passage to say, look, if, if you still can't believe me, then listen to the testimony of others. And he clicks off all these. You don't have to write these down, but here's what he does. It's a great story. He says, John the Baptist testified of me. My miracles testify of me. The father testified of me when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Remember that? When Jesus was baptized. And the scriptures testify of me. So Jesus is saying, look, man, if you're struggling to believe my words, then believe John the Baptist, the miracles, the father, the scriptures. They all tell you that I'm telling you the truth. And that, in truth, that's so important is what? It's this. So what about the hungers of my heart? Here they are. Jesus was and is today God the Son. So believe in Him. And if you've never placed your faith in Christ, do it. Jesus knew that we would struggle to believe in Him, so He did miracles to show us. But just as important as that is, I want you to notice the next one. Jesus knew that this fact would be hard to believe, so he did abundant miraculously. He, did, he offered abundant miraculous evidence. I love the heart of Jesus that he didn't just say, believe in me. And people say, well, why should we believe in you? And he says, get over it and believe in me. He says, well, okay, so if you can't believe my words, watch me. And he did miracles as part of substantiating his claims. And, of course, the biggest miracle, he said, that he'll leave for all of humanity is they will kill me, bury me, and I will rise from the dead. That's the ultimate miracle that causes me and you to have faith in Christ. But I think the heart of this story is the next two points, and that is that Jesus was and is today the great physician. So don't be afraid to ask for healing and know that he can do anything. That's cool. Now, that's the obvious story. And most people that teach you these stories, they'll show you how Jesus healed all these people. They'll say, so, you know, when you're sick, put your faith in Jesus. And and, and he'll heal you. I do not think that is the main point of the story, though. It's part of it. So when I'm sick, I'm going to pray that Christ would heal me because he can do anything. He can heal from a distance. He can heal without faith. He can heal anyone, anywhere, anytime he chooses. Here's the heart of the story. And that is that the ultimate faith that Jesus wants is for us to believe that he is today the all-loving, infinitely wise son of God. So trust him in sickness and in health. I said it this way earlier in the message that the goal of Christ's miracles is to foster in us a faith that will believe when miracles don't happen. I'll say that again. The goal of Christ's miracles was to foster a faith in Him that we will hold firm to even when the miracle doesn't happen. You say, well, yeah, if Jesus healed back then, shouldn't I expect him to always heal today? It's used today's story. Jesus goes to the pool. There's five porches covered with sick people. He heals one of them. There's no evidence in the story that he healed anybody else that day. Jesus left five porches covered with sick people. When he could have said, watch this, be healed. And everyone in the crowd would have gotten up and walked or got their sight back or whatever. You see, the Bible does not promise us that God will always heal. And it's not a matter of, okay, if I just have enough faith, he's going to heal. You go into your relationship with Jesus with that type of theology, you will probably end up giving it up. He fosters a faith that stands up where I say, you know, Jesus, you are who you said you are, and as the Son of God who died on a cross for me, I trust in your love, I trust in your wisdom, and I trust that you have a purpose in my life, and, and I trust that if, 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 if it is your will, you can heal me of anything. So pray for it. But also, it is not a lack of faith that says, but God, I trust you, not my will, but thy will be done. That's not a lack of faith, it's, it's an expression of faith. Sometimes it takes more faith to believe that God loves you and he's walking with you through the crappy parts of life than it does to believe in the God who does a miracle for you. Because I guarantee you, before long, you'll forget the miracle and you'll want another one. The cross is the basis of our faith, not the latest miracle that God did for you. And that leads us into communion. We're going to go from that into a time of remembering exactly what Jesus did for us so I really encourage you in the next five minutes as the band comes to lead us to take a few minutes and just sit you can sing if you want but you can just sit quietly and pray and our ushers are going to bring you the bread and the cup those precious reminders sacred reminders of the body of Jesus sacrifice for us the blood of Christ shed for us Just hold them and ask yourself this question. Do I trust this Jesus enough that I will believe, I will trust Him, not just for my miracles, but for the miracle of what He did on the cross, for the miracle of my eternal life, and I will trust Him in sickness and in health. Pray with me. Father, thank You for the encouragement that we get from our Lord Jesus so as we now turn our attention to um, remembering the cross remembering the sacrifice well thank you that this same Jesus that was able to heal everyone else allowed himself to die allowed himself to suffer and to die on a cross in our place for our sin so that He might offer us eternal health, eternal life. We reflect on that together now in Jesus' name.